Psalms 127. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late. Hey, there was, there's been some nights that it was vain to sit up late, right? You're waiting for the results from things and still, if you didn't know sometimes. To eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Lord, I pray that you would use your word to help us, that we might have families of faith in this day. Lord, I pray that you would move in our, in our hearts and as we have been here, and many of us were in the service last week, Lord, may we not grow dull of hearing because uh, it's the same text, but Lord, may we see the, the truths that you have conveyed to us here that can truly help and restore and fix our land. And Lord, I believe you want to work. We're asking you to work. Tenderize our hearts to hear your word. And I pray that you would help us to grow thereby. In Christ's name we do pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I occasionally ask myself a question. Why? Why labor? Why invest? Why try to help people grow? Because you see, oftentimes as a pastor, you're fixing problems that could have been prevented had we just followed the word of God. With all due respect. And most of the time, uh, see, in our society... Uh, there's been so much taught, but so much that's not biblical that's taught. And we have so many homes that have fallen apart in our society. So much has, has gone apart. And there's so much trouble in the land that most come in with such burdens on our hearts, right? And you try to help somebody and maybe they're already, they already have children and now we're trying to move forward and help. And there's already principles we've established and sometimes those weren't biblical, okay? And then sometimes those children grow up and they wind up not serving God, not knowing God, not loving God. And then we're trying to reach them again and get the grandchildren and we're kind of working through this generational dysfunctional uh, society. And the Bible tells us there's a clear cure for this. And it's, it's really found in letting the Lord build the house. And all God's people said, Amen. please don't let me try to build it, okay? Let God build it. But if we will follow God and God's plans, things will work well. Without the Lord building the house, we're just spinning our tires. We are just wasting time. I'm seeking to help us that we might have the young people in this room might grow up to love Jesus. That the little children in this room might grow up to love Jesus. That the little ones back there, Caleb, little young man, grow up to love the Lord with all his heart. Grow up to serve the Lord. Grow up to enjoy being in the house of God. And grow up to then marry in the will of God. And then... Grow up to raise a family in the will of God and love the kingdom of God. 
See, we're seeking to help the young children. I see little children in the back and little children up front, little children and young people and youth. We're seeking to not repeat the same generational sins. That's why I'm passionate about what I do. Because I see our society continuing to repeat the same generational sins. God wants to give us victory. And as I read in the book even this week of the life of this preacher, God used him so mightily. He said... You need to believe God for miracles in your 40s. And to all of you who are over 40, you need to still believe God for miracles in your 40s and your 50s and your 60s and your 70s. He said, why do we stop believing God for miracles? Stop believing God to manifest his power. We, why I focus on the young people is because, look, young people's hearts usually are more tender. Once we get to our 20s, 30s, we stop learning sometimes. And the, the growth ceases in our life. I don't want that to happen. I want the Lord to build our houses. Except the Lord build it. We're just wasting our time. The modern Christian home is entirely built on the foundation of selfishness. And it's why kids don't stay in the faith. We do what feels good. Had somebody uh, come by and visit this, this week. And just somebody in the community. And they were so discouraged about how their child had purchased something. That they shouldn't have purchased online. They said they were just wasting their money, and they said, they, why'd you do that? And the child said, I just wanted to treat myself. And they said, they told that child, don't you do that. You shouldn't treat yourself. And then in the conversation, a few minutes later, they told me how they were going to go and treat themselves. They said, lobster's on sale tonight. We're going to go have a big lobster dinner and treat ourselves because I deserve it, they said have a problem with the 17-year-old behaving that way, but could not realize in the, just a few sentences or later, we're behaving the exact same way. Sometimes it's hard to see our own faults, isn't it? And that's why we repeat generational sins. Sometimes we're unwilling to admit that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. He says, it is vain, it is vain in verse 2, for you to rise up early to sit up late. How many parents sit up late at night wondering what's happening? Worried. Afraid. He says it's vain to do that unless the Lord's building the house. It's vain. Unless the Lord's building, we're wasting our time. And that's why in America, the statistics outside of the church and within the church are exactly the same often in regards to our family structure, in regards to the children, uh, in regards to the children, they're not people of integrity often. Why? Because we're following the same principles as the world sometimes. What does a family of faith look like? A family of faith is built on a solid foundation. We saw this last week. It is built on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, parents, is the Lord the first person you go to to consult for your plans? Remember, Samuel was burdened by God. The Lord spoke to him. Eli didn't think it was God. Eli hadn't been talking to God. You know the saddest part about Samuel's life? Samuel grew up to be a man of God, grew up in the house of God, grew up serving God. He heard the voice of God at a young age. Eli wouldn't listen to God. But Samuel, when he became old, the Bible says he never told his sons no. And his own sons slept with women in the gates of the very house of God 
The women would come, and the sons were committing fornication in the very house of God. Say, how did that happen? The very sins of Eli were passed on through to Samuel. They were never stopped. And he did not refrain. He did not refuse. He never spoke a tough word to his sons, it says. A solid foundation, except the Lord build the house. We're so obsessed with the product. And I think in America, we're so focused with celebrities. We're so focused with fading fashions. And you know what? Sometimes they just might utter a horrible word a few minutes later after we get obsessed with them. A solid foundation is not celebrities. It's not popularity. Uh, A solid foundation is built on the foundation of the word of God. And we looked last week that this foundation is built on the fear of the Lord. If the book changes us, it will change them. Built on the fear of the Lord. Look in verse 1 of chapter 128. Blessed is everyone. That does what? It has all the right answers. It has a good job. We're so focused as parents often on the income of our children. I see this constantly. And in 22 years of serving Jesus, since I surrendered to be a preacher, how many of my peers for a job are no longer in ministry because they wanted a good job that paid well? Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord. He didn't say they were blessed because they got a good job. He didn't say they were blessed because we liked them. He didn't say they were blessed because of this and that. He said they were blessed because they did what? Feareth the Lord. They feared God. And he said also that what? Walketh in his ways. You know why the nation of Israel kept wandering off and doing their own thing? The Bible tells us Moses knew the ways of God. They just saw the acts of God. When our children have only observed, that's what God did for so-and-so. But they haven't learned in their own life to depend upon God. They haven't learned to walk in his ways. He says, it's blessed. Our home is blessed. Blessed is everyone that, what does he say? Feareth the Lord. If I were to describe our generation, it is described simply as a generation that does not fear God. And the average Christian that I counsel with does not fear God. There's no fear of God. There's no trembling before him. I remember, uh, I tell you, when we get to certain uh, lessons, I've noticed sometimes in discipleship how much a man will tremble when he realizes his lost loved ones are on their way to hell. Taking one man through discipleship one time, man, we got to that lesson on the lake of fire, the lesson on hell. He came in with tears streaming down his face and he said, my dad's not in heaven. And there's nothing I can do to change it. I think that helped. The fear of the Lord. You say, that's tragic that somebody would go to hell. Yes. But we are too, sometimes too confident that our child is in the faith. And we don't realize they don't fear God. They must fear the Lord. It would be the greatest gift we give our child is to fear God. And by the way, if they fear us, they'll fear God. That doesn't mean they ought to be afraid of us. They ought to have a holy reverence and a respect. The way they talk to leaders, the way they talk about the authorities in their life, directly reflects their relationship with God. 
Uh, I'm going to say that again because there wasn't any amens on that, okay? The way they speak of authorities and the way they speak of the Word of God directly reflects their relationship with God. Amen. A lot of children are very, very disrespectful these days. They don't fear God. Because they don't fear God, they don't fear anyone, including their parents. They don't fear the boss, they don't fear anybody. Verse 2. Thou shalt eat of the labor of thine hands. It's built on the fear of the Lord, but then it's built, and we saw this last week, it's built on hard work. Hard work is essential. You'll never find a man in the Bible who was blessed for laziness. Thou shalt eat, he says, of the labor of thine own hands. We have such a disabled society, do we not? Everybody has a disability, it seems. But they do not have a problem getting a job as soon as they get qualified for disability, do they? It is, and, I, and look, if you have a disability, I'm not out, out here to eat you, okay, or be upset. I'm just saying we live in a society that everybody's disabled about something, it seems. Um, but nobody wants to work, okay? He says thou shalt, everybody wants something for free. He says thou shalt eat the labor of whose hands? Thine hands. And he says happy shalt thou be. A home that's built on the Word of God is a home built around hard work. There's a lot we have lost in the last society, in the last generation. We uh, were reading some newspapers, and my wife found these. And Sometimes you run into old documents, and it's kind of cool. 1930s. Newspapers from the 1930s. And I think some were even from back in the 1980s, right? Or 18, no, not 1800s. Okay, it was, just, it was right around they were talking about stuff that happened then, though. I mean, 1930s, all the stuff that was transpiring. And we're looking through some of these newspapers, and it was crazy. I mean, you could rent a room for $6. That would be pretty good, wouldn't it, right? Uh, you could room and board. I think it was $6. You're just living in a different time period. You could buy a used truck for $249. Of course, we realize inflation has happened. But it was just a different time period. And, but you realize they had to work for just a few cents a day to earn that. Psalms 128, verse 2, Thou shalt eat of the labor of thine own hands, he says, and happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. There's nothing like a restful night because you worked hard. You, know, you ever wonder why the sun comes up in the morning? That's when God wants us to get up and work. And it goes down at night because he wants us to Go to bed. It's a God-given schedule built right into... Now, if you lived in Alaska, you're going to have to alter that a little bit, okay? But it is a God-given schedule built right into every day. The sun comes up, we ought to be up. Okay? That's when we wake up, when the sun comes up. And then when the sun goes down, it's time to get ready and rest. You know, I noticed this even driving around in our community this week. There were no young men, no youth on the streets during the day. And then at night, last night, we had pictures that our daughters colored. You know, the Stewart's pictures. And they color those, and they get a free ice cream cone. Well, they went in there all so happy. Of course, Eliza, she wasn't the only one that colored her picture, okay? <laughs> she was super happy to get that ice cream cone, though. We were walking in there, getting those pictures, taking those pictures in there, and, and driving down the road. And I, I noticed, I mentioned to my wife, I said, it's been kind of strange this week. I've been wondering, where are all the youth in our community? And they were all on the streets last night. Said, so isn't it interesting? Our society, we've reversed things, and the young the young men were all out there on the streets, and 
That's when they get into trouble. And during the day, in the morning, you can't find one of them. So our society has mixed things up, and instead of hard work, we're built around sleep. The schedule is based around sleep. Built by hard work. The fear of the Lord. The Bible says six days the Lord labored, on the seventh he took a rest. It's built right into our week. Also, we saw last week it was built by a faithful marriage. Built by a faithful marriage. It says in verse 3 of Psalms 128, Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Not just providing shade for the home, but providing fruit. Providing nourishment. Providing encouragement. Providing stability. And he says, Thy children, like olive plants, round about thy table. We plant and put these, we put these plants in the ground for a purpose, don't we? For them to produce. And by the way, please take the produce on your way out, okay? Um, the plants were put in the ground to produce. We want them to produce fruit. We want them to produce things, right? And so we plant them. And he says, your children will be productive, okay? It's built out of a faithful marriage. And from that faithful marriage comes productive children that are producing fruit, he describes this beautiful fruit growing. He says, olive plants round about thy table. What's the significance of an olive plant? Olive oil is beautiful for cooking. It is essential for cooking. And in Bible days, it was really the main oil. They didn't have canola oil, okay, like we do today. I don't, you don't ever read in the Bible about that kind of oil. They used olive oil. They used it for the lamps to burn light. They didn't have coal-powered. I don't care what they say about electricity. That, char that electric car, if you buy it, it's going to be charged by coal, okay? Um, <laughs> we didn't have coal back in the Bible days like that. They had oil, and it was olive oil they were using for the lamps. Olive oil to cook with. Olive oil for the sacrifices in God's house. He describes these children as producing a product essential to the home. He says, like olive plants round about thy table... You say, would you plant olive trees inside of your house? Of course not. But he's drawing for us a picture that when we sit down for dinner around the home, by the way, that's a good place to have conversation. It is said that that's where society has fallen apart, is, is not having, families not having uh, a time together, sitting around. And instead, uh, you go to the restaurant, what are, they, what are we all doing? Okay, everybody's texting each other across the table. Um, that's, that's the part of the reason why our society has fallen apart. And so uh, the home is not a good, strong structure. And in the Bible days, you see them fellowshipping together. You see the importance of eating a meal together. It was a very good thing. But he describes this in this picture, this faithful marriage. He describes the wife being a fruitful vine. He describes the children round about, each of them like olive plants. Each of them being productive in their own way. The goal for you with your children, we ought to seek to have them be productive. And so what we know they ought to have, and we ought to have in our home, we ought to have a home built around the word of God. We ought to have also a steadfast faith in our home. This morning, let's continue on. The Bible says in verse 3, children are, in, back in Psalms 127, lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. They belong to God, not to us. Do you think God might hold us responsible for how we raise them? Bringing prayer back in the schools is not going to fix the problems in the home. 
I'm trying to build a heritage back in the home and try to encourage and help, try to have it in my own home and try to have it in our homes that we might recognize the children belong to God so what we do in the home is very important to God. God cares about it all. We're all tempted to raise the kids like they're our own. But since they belong to him, we must consult him for advice on how to raise them. Not just emergency advice. Faith moves mountains. A steadfast faith. He describes this steadfast faith. The faith ought to be unmovable. Our children ought to see us do things by faith, not because we just have the resources to do them. Children ought to see, and we ought to be able to tell them, hey, we did this by faith, and God provided. They ought to see by faith God's move. They ought to see by faith God's working. I don't know about you. If you're raising your children in this church, they're going to see God's been doing a lot of things by faith. Many of you, if you don't remember, the first time you visited this church, you probably were the only family with kids in here on the Sunday you came. Okay? Uh, we, we started out with no, no children in the church. We didn't even have any children, okay? And God has blessed. And by the way, uh, my wife wasn't even able to have any children, and then God gave her children. And see, God blessed. It was the provision of God. And the very fact that we have children in our home is a miracle of God. A steadfast faith. We had so much faith, we didn't even have health insurance. <laughs> all right? That was not exactly a smart move. All right? We since have changed that. Uh, without faith, it is impossible to please God. The kids must be raised by faith. I want our children to see that we did events by faith. That we did things by faith around here. Uh, we're planning an event even this week, and pray for me. I can't give you the details yet, but I'm planning an event. I'm going to be sitting down with some pastors this week. We're going out to breakfast. We're going to discuss some things that uh, need to be done in our community and an event that we need to do. And, and we're going to seek to, by prayer and by faith, believe God to work. And look, I'm believing God to raise up even laborers to help host this event from our own midst. And it's all by faith because, you, I'll tell you right now, uh, all the laborers aren't in line. Everybody's not in place. But we've got to do things by faith. And by faith, Noah was moved. By faith, these men of God in the past were moved. And when I moved here and our church began uh, to be rebuilt and we start, started to uh, restart the church, uh, Pastor Jonathan had a theme. And when I arrived, it was placed up on the walls. And Brother Jonathan had been here for about two years. And he's now a pastor down in the Carolinas. And he had had a theme up here on the wall, and it was forward by faith. Forward by faith. That's the only way we move forward is by faith. Without faith, we cannot please the Lord. It still moves mountains. And a steadfast faith is key to building a family of faith. Faith doesn't need... I heard this from a, a gentleman who is a lieutenant governor... This week, and I heard this and I thought it was really good. Faith doesn't need a safe space to operate. It thrives best in the face of the unknown and it cannot be moved and will not change. Faith does not need a safe space to operate, my friend. You read about Caleb. He stepped out by faith and led all those people on a charge up to that mountain in his 80s. He was 85 years old and he went up and conquered that mountain by faith. A steadfast faith. Today, our families, our homes, our children, and he mentioned this 
in the, in the speech that he gave, uh, there's so much today, people want to call in a therapist for everything. They want to go get in their safe space for everything. And look, there comes a time, and the nation was built on men who just stood up and said, you know what, I don't feel good. Uh, I'm going to use my resources. We're going to make this thing happen by the glory and for the glory of God. We're going to move forward by faith. There's faith that is necessary in our homes. Our children must see us exercising faith. And if they see the faith, they'll be more inclined to follow the faith by faith. By faith, a potential to be guided right. It is this steadfast faith that we see, look, our children have potential. Look in verse 4 of chapter 127. As arrows are in the hand of a what kind of a man? A mighty man. So are children of the youth. There are hidden camps. Throughout this land, there are camps in other parts of the world run by Muslim organizations where they have little kids about the age of these little children in here. They're teaching these little children how to worship Allah. They're teaching these little children, and they look like Hitler's little army. And they're teaching these children to bow down. And they're teaching these children how to carry a firearm. And they're teaching these children all these things. And you know what? They don't have therapy classes for them. They're teaching them discipline and character. And you wonder which nation's going to overtake the world. My friend, they're teaching them to be men who will be strong and who will fight for a false religion. Would to God that we would train our children to be arrows in the hand, it says, of a mighty man. A hunter who's timid and afraid is not going to take a good shot. If we're nervous with that bow when we pull it back and quivering and shaking, we miss every time. You know what, parents? You might be quivering, you might be shaking, but if you have some faith, it'll give you some stability to hold that arrow. And too often, we just do what's easy, what's convenient, what's accepted, what the world does, and we don't consult with the Lord. There is potential to be guided right. An arrow has the same potential. Every arrow has the same potential to go forward and even greater potential. There's the potential through this also to guide them in the wrong way. Everything we do is guiding them. So if we don't like the apples, let's be honest. Uh, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Apart from the grace of God, uh, the apple doesn't fall, fall far from the tree. Unbelief starts at a very young age. Faith must be built strong in our homes. Faith must be built strong in our homes. Uh, look, parents, when you stop by and you go places, uh, people ought to know that you're in the faith. They ought to, they ought to want uh, and understand that's very important to you. This Saturday they had a yard sale, or Friday they had a yard sale, and they were posting it up on County Route 12. Maybe some of you guys went up there and went shopping. But there was all these yard sales up through going up to the village of Whitehall. And they were going all along the sides of the road. And they were selling a little bit of everything. This one family had had a free pile last year. They had a, a rocking chair that was out there for free. And I got that. It was a Cracker Barrel rocking chair for free. And it's still good. And it's still on my porch, all right? And if it's missing now, I know why. And, uh, it, you know, it just needs to be repainted. And uh, waiting for my daughters to grow up to repaint it, okay? But, um, I mean... Here, here you go, and I said, this place is going to be a good sale because they put that kind of stuff out for free, and it was a good sale. And the lady had a little table with all these books for kids, and uh, when she found out it had children, 
the girls were at home with my wife, and she walked up to me a few minutes later carrying a kid's Bible and a kid's prayer book. She said, uh, no, the books are only 25 cents each, but she said, I want you to have these for your children. And uh, now she didn't know it, but my daughters are notorious for losing their Bibles, and I have got multiple kids' Bibles for them, and they lose them often, and they like to stow them away. They are little squirrels, okay? They put it somewhere, and they don't know where they left it. And Lucy was so overjoyed when I walked in the house because Gwenny's been holding her little Bible, but Lucy hasn't had one. She's been stealing mummies, which is why mummy comes into ladies' Bible study without a Bible and has to use a pew Bible, okay? Uh, it's like, where's my, where's my Bible? And the question will go on in our home for a little while. Where's the Bible? I don't know. And it's sewed away in somebody's backpack or something. And so mom got her Bible back uh, yesterday, yesterday and, uh, and she was so delighted. She's probably thanked me 30 times for that Bible since then. And, you know, uh, it was partly a little bit embarrassing on Wednesday because uh, Gwenny wanted to bring her Bible over, and we were just having playtime. <laughs> and she wanted to walk around while we were playing outside holding it. And I said, Gwenny, why are you doing that? She said, Daddy, I said, it's playtime. Your friends are here. It's playtime. She said, but, Daddy, it's the ladies' Bible study. And so I'm studying my Bible. And so, uh, look, it was slightly embarrassing, okay? As a parent, you're like, come on, why don't you go play in the swing set right now, right? Um, but let's not discourage it. And I, I discouraged it a few times. I was like, hey, Gwen, let's go play. And then you know what I thought, man? The Lord hath need of thee, okay? There's some reason why God's put that on our heart. So um, parents, sometimes we get so embarrassed when our kids get excited about the faith because we're not excited maybe. Uh, there's nothing wrong with them being excited about the faith, and it was a lesson I needed to learn this week, okay? Potential to be guided right. Potential to be guided right. Bible also describes something else, a plentiful supply. Look in verse 5. Happy is the man that hath his quiver. What does it say? Full of them. There was a man named Bill Gothard who preached on parents ought to have as many kids as God allows them to have. Now, he's a, he was a single man, and he taught basic life principles. By the way, it all got burdened when he was in the city and saw the youth running rampant on the streets, and he started teaching the youth, and that's how his whole ministry got started. He influenced thousands of families and tens of thousands of families around the world, and homeschool groups were started as a result of his ministry. And... Um, Look, in the later years of his life, he made some mistakes and some, some things happened. He got in some, some trouble. But I did learn a lot from his life. And I will say this. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. My parents were done at two. They weren't going to have any more kids. And they went to one of his conferences in Atlanta, Georgia. And there's a picture of my parents pushing the little stroller with my two little sisters in it. Well, not little. They're, all, they're my older sisters. And they're pushing it along. My parents said, you know what? We're going to go back and we're going to believe God. And me, my brother, twin brother, and my two younger sisters are a result of basic life principles. We would not be here. You would not have a pastor today. Well, somebody else, maybe God would have sent him, okay? But I would not be here for sure. You might not you know, enjoy me as much, but my daughters wouldn't be here, okay? So uh, that would be a sad misfortune, right? If it had not been 
for my parents following that counsel. Children are the heritage of the Lord. You say, well, what kind of home should we raise? We've got to have a Christian home founded around the word of God. The greatest gift, if you're not saved, your wife would be to get saved. That would be the greatest gift you can give your spouse. Husband, if you're not saved, you rejected Christ. The greatest gift you can give your spouse would be to get converted, put your faith in Christ, get fear of God in your home. The problem is sometimes people go trying to have kids and they hadn't, hadn't had faith first. And it, comes, it winds up being an absolute disaster. A plentiful supply in the hands of what kind of a man? A mighty man who is guided by God. It says, happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. Quiver full of them. Full, there's plenty of arrows to pull out. And you say, which direction should we send them? The way God wants them to go. Too often, parents, we are so focused on, we want them to be a doctor just like we are. Okay, I say that because none of you are doctors. Um, we want them to be a dentist just like we are. And we're so focused on sending them in a particular direction, we never consulted with the king of kings. Maybe he wants them to go somewhere else. He might have a calling for them. Maybe we should ask, Lord, what will you... You want to go do that, child? That's... Nobody in our family's ever done that. You realize it's been hundreds of years in my family since anybody was a preacher? The last preacher in my family, as I understand it, was a man named Daniel Shedd, and he was in England. All right? I'm thankful that God still calls. It doesn't have to be we grow up in a preacher's home. God still directs. The potential to be guided right, a plentiful supply. A plentiful supply. Look, the TV has raised a horribly lazy generation that cannot fend for themselves unless they have YouTube to guide them on how to pound a nail in or how to do something very simple and minuscule around the house. They have to have a YouTube video in order to figure it out. Why? Because we are a lazy generation. And look, um, uh, we, we, if we want to raise them with a TV as a babysitter, we shouldn't be surprised when they turn out uh, supporting that agenda. Okay? And uh, there's an agenda being pushed. So the plentiful supply, we want the arrows to go in the right direction. And so let's train the arrows right. Let's direct the arrows right. Let's make sure the arrows are polished and in the right place so the arrows are sharp, so the arrows can do their job. That's part of our job as parents. And also you see in the passage, they're prepared to face opposition. Look in verse 5. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. It says, they shall not be, what does it say? Ashamed. Our generation is so ashamed. Our generation, it would do good this week, read the story of Ahab and Jezebel. The Bible says there was none like Ahab, whom his wife Jezebel did stir up against the Lord. Ahab had a problem. He had a self-centered complex. Whenever a problem happened, Ahab went down the road. Oh, there's a vineyard right there. I want the vineyard. By the way, in Bible days, you couldn't just purchase somebody else's property. After 50 years, it went back to them anyways. The only reason you could get it is if, it, if they could not, and you took up the loan on it, you took up, and you began to uh, take care of it, but it would go back to them after 50 years. Ahab wanted property right next to him. As a king, he thought he could have whatever he wanted. He wanted a vineyard right there. And by the way, he couldn't have it because it wasn't his. It was an inheritance of somebody else, but he wanted something that was not his. Well, he couldn't get it. He went to his bedroom, the Bible says, and he closed his door, turned his face to the wall, and cried. Had a pity party, sucked on his thumb. 
We live in a generation of grown men. That's exactly how they live. And his wife Jezebel came in and said, Dear Ahab, what's wrong with you? And little conniving Jezebel wrote letters and had the owner of the vineyard taken out so she could get unlawfully what was her, not hers. Why? To appease her husband. Prophet of God showed up right after that and straightened the whole mess out. My friends, we live in a generation where we are raising the children. Many of the children that are raised are being raised under principles like Ahab and Jezebel. And look, we've got that for nation's leaders, but we've got that often for the leaders in the homes in our society. We have Ahab tendencies and we have Jezebel tendencies. We connive when we can't get our way. And men, we pout when we don't get our way. A generation of pouting men. And when, when the prophet of God comes and says, that's not the way it is, they get mad. He was told, the prophet of God, thou art he that troubleth Israel, because three years of drought came. But my friend, I tell you, the people that we raise, the children that we raise in our home, our burden ought to be that they not be ashamed. That they not be like Ahab. That if they have an Ahab tendency, man, we ought to be getting them in for counseling real quick. We ought to be getting them into the word of God real quick. Uh, let's not cover it up. If they got an Ahab tendency, let's deal with it. If they got a Jezebel tendency, let's deal with it before it grows because it defiled the entire nation. It says, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Where are they going to be? They're going to be the warriors out in front. They're going to be leading. They're going to be the ones who know how to go speak in a difficult situation. Why? Because they've been in the right place and got the right training. They shall not be ashamed. Look, opposition is a reality of life. We live in a society that wants to, a utopia. And uh, our, our youth in this generation want a utopia. They want to be raised in a place where there's, uh, you know, just everybody, everything's okay. And we just all get along. And whenever we have a problem, we just riot about it. Uh, and, and, and money fixes all problems. But you know what? That's not reality of life. We're told that John Huss, when he was arrested and informed that he would be burned to death for his life and for his faith, he purposely practiced holding his hand over fire to prepare for his final test. He burned his own hand in preparation because he knew he was going to be burned for his faith. And he did not want to waver or quit when he was asked to recant his faith. I wonder what happened if we were burned for our faith. You say that'll never happen to us. It's happening to Christians around the world right now. And I decide not, I don't not mean to in any way be a doomsday person. But my friend, trouble and persecution is happening to Christians all over this world. We ought to raise our children to be warriors, to speak with the enemies in the gate. And if they're not a warrior, it ought to burden our heart. Uh, when trouble comes, there will not be time to go find our safe space or schedule a therapist appointment. When trouble comes, it's time to stand up and speak the truth. Uh, I'm seeking to post less online and trying to live more in person. Real people exist all around us, and they need the gospel. And my friend, I tell you, uh, we don't need to hide in our corner. We need to get out and let our light so shine before men. Prepared to face opposition. Several centuries ago, a Japanese emperor was commissioned. He commissioned an artist to paint a bird. Number of months and years went by, and no painting was brought into the palace. And the emperor got very exasperated, so he went to the artist's home. And he said, where's my painting? I demand an explanation. Instead of making excuses, the artist placed a blank canvas on the easel, and in less than an hour, he completed a painting that became a brilliant masterpiece. When the emperor asked the reason for the delay, the artist showed him armloads of drawings of feathers, wings, heads, and feet. Then he explained all of this research was done and study was done because it was necessary so that he could complete 
the painting. Our children are a blank slate when they come to us. Let's, every, little thing, every little thing matters. And let's ask God to help us, that we might help them to be prepared to face opposition, that their faith fail not in the day of adversity. If thou faint in the day of adversity, the Bible says thy strength is small. And we live in a generation that's fainting before the day of adversity. And we ought to believe God, like it says in, in the latter portion, in Psalms 128, Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. God wants to give peace in our homes. But there's going to be no peace if it's not built on a solid foundation. It ought to be more concerning to us that our child's on fire for God, loves God fervently, and that they marry somebody who loves God fervently. That ought to be the most important thing, more than anything else, that they love God fervently and they serve God fervently. Uh, because, my friend, when trouble comes and a child comes along, grandchild comes along, they're going to need to go somewhere to get help. And if they aren't in love with Jesus and they're not supporting the work of God, the kingdom of God and the house of God will not be around. It'll be like a ghost town. I heard of a ghost town. It's called Darwin. It's out in California. And there's a man named uh, Mr. Santano. He goes and makes videos of these places and goes and tours them. And he went to this little ghost town out in California a few months ago. And in the ghost town, uh, he got there and there were 30 people that still lived there. He started asking these people questions and uh, they're all hippies, the man said. They went on to describe their lives as uh, basically a peaceful utopia, but the way they spoke on camera, they sure didn't seem to understand a lot of things about life, and they seemed to be pretty frustrated. Um, but these people were describing their lives, and the man said, in our town, there are no churches and there are no sheriffs. And he said that like it was a good thing. And then he said, in our town, about the only thing you're going to find here is a lot of people that are very, very drunk. Very, very drunk. He described this peaceful utopia, this town with 30 people in it. They have to drive 70 miles one way to go get groceries. 150 to almost 200 miles to another town if they want to get stuff from a bigger store. 200 miles away. Living in this sheltered place. And you know what I noticed? Everybody on camera was old, very old. There were no kids in the town. They had no school. Just a bunch of people wasting their lives away. Serving themselves. And they described a life completely filled with selfishness. And the guy boasted about how they had no church. I thought, man, how sad that is. We have no church. I thought to myself, what if God did burden the young man to go there and preach to them? They would throw him straight out of that town. Why? Because they have no fear of God. Knowledge of God, yes, but no fear of God. Prepared to face opposition. Our children need a foundation on the Word of God, on principles around the Word of God. And most of our generation will be perfectly content to live in a little town like that where there's no church and where the booze runs freely. And that would be it, a utopia. But my friend, that is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is that we might lead others and we might lead our own children to the faith, prepared to face opposition. Look, our society is doing a lot of things horribly wrong. And we need in our homes and we need in our, our church a solid foundation that we might have homes built around the word of God. The most important thing, the word of God. I wonder where are the young men, where are the young women who will stand up for God? 
who will stand up and say, you know what, I'm going to build on a solid foundation. I don't care what my society says. I don't care what my parents say. I only care what God says. I don't care what the doctor says. I don't care even what the preacher says. I just care what God says. I don't care what the politicians say. I don't care what the other nations say. I care what God says. And we ought to have a group of young men who will stand up like that and say, you know what? We're going to build on a solid foundation. And young women who will follow behind them, we're going to build on a solid foundation. We're not going to let the world establish our home. We're going to let the word of God establish the principles in our home. A solid, sure foundation built on the fear of the Lord. Don't you want that for your grandchildren? Don't you want that for your children? Young people, don't you want that for yourselves? That we might build our homes on the fear of God and that we might have in that solid foundation, a foundation of faith, a foundation of steadfast faith in God. Believing God to work. I'm believing God to work. I've believed God ever since we had a child, ever since Gwendolyn was born, that God would send people into our church, that God would send children in. That God would send young people in. And my friend, that God would send in adults in. That God would send in stable families in. That God would send in people who would get saved, get baptized, get discipled, and grow for the kingdom of God and make a difference. May there be in this room souls that God raises up to serve him. Maybe God's moving on your heart. Maybe God's moving on your heart and today you'll just surrender to him and say, Lord, I'm willing to do what you want me to do and, and I'm willing to build my home right. Instead of building it wrong, instead of building on the same shaky foundation everybody else is trying to build on, I'm going to actually build it on the Word of God. And Lord, I'm going to surrender to this book. And if this book says to do it, that's what we're doing in our home. If this book says not to do it, that's what we're doing in our home. We're not going to worry about what somebody else says. We're just going to worry about what he says. If that's the desire of your heart, when the piano plays in a moment we're going to stand, would you come forward and would you pray and ask God to help you with that? Would you ask God to help you that we might build our homes on this foundation? And maybe that we, it, your burden for some grandkids, maybe your burdens for some great grandkids, that they might build on this foundation, that God might help you to help them. Let's stand for prayer. Let's do business with God. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, we're not going to raise our hands today for an invitation. We're simply going to respond to the Lord. I'm closing out the live stream. Thank you so much for watching by way of live stream. And for those of us in the house, Let's take time right now to do business with the Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your house. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege to worship you. We ask that you would help us this week, that we might make a difference. We pray you'd be with our missionaries, that you would be with them as they're on their way, the Les Hill family, traveling to be with us next week, next Friday. Lord, I pray that you would touch them and, and minister to them, encourage their dear family, and provide for their every need and for the ministry. For the rice singers, pray watch with them, protect them as well. And Lord, help us that we might have homes of faith. Except the Lord build the house, we're just laboring in vain. Help us to let you build the house. Help us today to have the faith to ask you once again. Maybe we went back. Maybe today we just need to ask you again, Lord, would you build our house? We want you to build it. We want to stop building our own foundation. Uh, we're going to try, stop trying to figure out our own thing. Lord, we're just going to ask you to help us. We're going to rely upon you. I will lift up mine eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. With our heads bowed and eyes closed as the piano begins to play, would you step out from your seat and would you ask God to work in your home? Would you ask God to work in your life? Would you ask God to help you to build a home of faith, a home built around the word of God? Would you come today and ask the Lord to help? Would you ask the Lord to build? Accept the Lord build. They labor in vain that build it. Would you ask God to work? Let's ask God to move. You might say, I don't know how to pray. God hears your prayer. 
He's ready to respond. Would you come ask the Lord to work?